I'm having one of those days today. <laughs> Started off well, I got here nice and early, then I realised I'd forgotten everything. And I had to go all the way home again and get it. And so, oh, I don't know. But today's a good day. It really is. 57 years ago today, I took my wife out on our very first date. How about that? She didn't learn. She's still with me. Now, I wonder, when you dashed into the bathroom this morning to get ready to come to church, and you're busy getting ready, and you suddenly caught sight in the mirror a reflection of your face, and you were taken back at the absolute awesome beauty of it all, and the handsomeness, and you thought, look at that wonderful person. That's me. But did you think for a minute, when you looked at your face in the mirror, I'm a child of God. That's the face of a child of God. And not only that, did you also think that I am a gift of God, a gift that God has given to the world? Do you know, that may seem a bit odd, but that is what the Bible describes us. And the reason it does is because the minute we came to Christ, our whole life changed and we became a child of God. Now, okay, you could say that everybody is a child of God. But those who knew Jesus Christ and are born again are children in a special way. You see, the minute you believed, something incredible happened. You moved from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. Now, the kingdom of God is not something that's going to happen in the future when you die. You're suddenly going to arrive, and there I am in the kingdom of God. No, the kingdom of God arrives now. If you're a Christian, you're living in the kingdom of God now. You may not see it in its all, all its fullness at this moment, but you are a child in the kingdom of God. And you also received a special gift. You received the gift of eternal life. What does that mean? Does that mean when you die, you'll be resurrected? No, it doesn't mean that at all. The gift of eternal life is a gift you have now. The minute you believed, you got the gift of eternal life, which means that when your term as a Christian comes to die, you will simply change address. You will change location. You'll leave this world and you'll be in the glorious presence of Christ. But more than that, something even more special. The moment you become a child of God, you have a special relationship with God. You have direct access to God in the way you never did before. You can go right into the throne room of heaven and you can speak to God directly. Hebrews 10, 19 to 22 puts it like this. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed 
with pure water. There we are. We have that new and living way. As Christians, we can come directly into the presence of God. So you see, as Christians, we get lots of benefits. But with these benefits comes responsibilities. You have a new role. God has called you to a new role. He hasn't saved you just for your own benefit. In fact, God's church is the only church that exists for the benefit of the members of people outside it. And that's something we often forget. And God tells us in 1 Peter, chapter 2, verses 5 and 9, what that special role is, what the special responsibility is. He says, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow, isn't that incredible? God has called you to be a priest. We are all part of a royal priesthood. But what does that mean? When I first read that, I thought, does that mean I've got to be a vicar? And I actually thought that's what it meant. Fortunately, the church was saved from that. And I realised and learnt that to be a priest is something rather special. You see, priesthood is an important part of the Bible's teaching. In the Old Testament, the priesthood pointed us towards the coming of Christ, our great high priest. In the New Testament, it teaches that all those who belong to Christ are priests. The priesthood of all believers means every person is equally a priest. We're not all called to be leaders, but we're all called to be priests. But what's the role of a priest? What do you do as a priest? How are you supposed to exercise this ministry of being a priest? Well, a priest is one who stands before God as a representative of the people. We stand today in the gap between an unbelieving world and a holy God. Because we as believers can enter the very throne room of God by that new and living way, we are able to intercede in prayer for others, those who are not yet able to intercede for themselves because they're outside of the kingdom and they don't, longer, they don't have that access to God as we do. And if you want to know how important that is, just look at the world today. Just read your newspaper for a couple of days and you'll see that not only this country but the world around us is in a terrible state. It's moving farther and farther away from God. And God is calling us, his church, his people, his royal priesthood, to stand in the gap. We are to stand in the gap and pray for the world. We are to pray for the salvation of the world. We are pray, pray for the salvation of all those who cannot pray for themselves. It's an incredible job. It's an incredible responsibility.
You see, another role that a priest has is to mediate, that is to tell about God's forgiveness to the people by sharing the gospel and by interceding on behalf of that unbelieving world. And the Old Testament makes it really clear that to be a priest is just not for anyone. It's an awesome responsibility. Not anyone could do it. And in the Old Testament, only those called by God could be priests. And God had called and chosen the tribe of Levi to be his priests. So what was their duties? What did they have to do? Well, we find it in Numbers chapter 18. There's quite a good description. Verse 5. You are to be responsible for the care of the sanctuary and the altar, so that my wrath will not fall on the Israelites again. I myself have selected your fellow Levites from among the Israelites as a gift to you, dedicated to the Lord to do the work at the tent of meeting. But only you and your sons may serve as priests in connection with everything at the altar and inside the curtain. I am giving you the service of the priesthood as a gift. Anyone else who comes near the sanctuary is to be put to desk death. And you notice here that the service of priesthood was a gift to the Jewish people. Likewise, the Lord's people, Christians, that's us, are a God's gift to the nations in which they live. We are God's gift to Hawkinge. We are God's gift as Christians in this nation to the nation. Do you see yourself as a gift? Do you see yourself as a gift to the world? Do you see yourself as a gift to your family? Because that's what you are. But to be honest, the world doesn't really appreciate that gift, does it? In fact, God's people, especially Bible-believing Christians who try to live and honour the teaching of Christ, are seen at best as being a bit simple not understanding the modern world, and at really worst as fundamentalists and biggest. But the truth is that God says we are his gift because through our lives, our praise and worship, we proclaim the truth of the gospel of God. But let's go back and have a look at the, this role of priesthood for a minute. Now you notice in the Old Testament, it was talking about the role of the priest was to look after the sanctuary. Well, we don't have to do that anymore. Well, okay, on Sunday mornings I come and fill the candles up and make sure there's enough for communion. But that's not really a priest's job, but it's just a job I get as part of what I do at the church. But if you go back to the Old Testament days, the priests, and particularly the high priest, were the only ones allowed to approach God. And only the high priest could enter the presence of God in the holiest of holies, which was right at the heart of the temple, to offer the sacrifice for the sins of the nation to God. And this was seen as a really perilous job. This is not a job you really would want. Because to go into the presence of God 
with any sin was so dangerous because you cannot enter the presence of God with one speck of sin. And so the priest used to have to go through ritual cleansing. After every particular ceremony, he had to get cleansed again and again. So if you look at the old temple ceremonies, he'd most probably have to bath and wash about six times that day before he finally went in to offer the blood of the sacrifice on the altar of God. And because this was so dodgy, they tied a rope round the priest's middle. So he went in with a rope coming out behind him. And the reason the rope was there was because if anything happened to the poor guy, they could pull him out quick. Fortunately, we don't have to do that today. Because our worship, the sacrifice we offer, is different. Our priesthood is a priesthood we operate through prayer. We stand in the gap, as I've already said. Because our high priest, Jesus, has already entered the Holy of Holies on our behalf. And when we come before God in prayer, right into his throne room, right into his presence, we are covered in the precious blood of Jesus. When, Jesus, when God looks at us as we come to him, he doesn't see us. He sees Jesus because Jesus has covered us with his precious blood. So we go, not because we're not sinners, but because Jesus isn't. So we don't offer animal sacrifices. We offer, offer sacrifices of prayer, praise, and worship. And this is so important Christianity is not something that you can practice one hour on a Sunday morning. It's got to be something that's part and parcel of every part of our lives. We have to live for Christ. And you know, no matter how many times we fall, we fail, and believe you me, I've failed more times than I care to remember, God can still use us. Because God lives in us. And as we seek to follow him and become more like him, that presence becomes stronger and stronger and more obvious to others. You don't have to go around chatting to people and selling the gospel to them and trying to get their interest. If Christ lives in you, he will draw people to himself through you. I learned this lesson several years ago now, when I was working at a radio station. And we'd been working all day trying to sort out the finances of this radio station, which were none too healthy. And I'd been working in this station for about six months, and I got to know everybody, and I got to know the boss. I hadn't been in there saying, I'm a Christian, blah, 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 blah. I'd just been me. And one particular day, we had been working on the finances of the station, and it was very late at night. It was a place called Camberley, Surrey, and I had to get back to Sittingbourne, where I lived at the time. And we're just finishing about quarter to 11, and I'm keen to get home. And my boss says to me, you have done a great job 
today. I really appreciate all you've done for me. Now, tell me about your Jesus. And I was able to share with him then and there the wonderful news of Jesus Christ and the gospel. And today that man is a pastor in a church in the north of England. I didn't say anything. It was the presence of Christ in me, something I was totally unaware of that drew that man. So this is why we must seek to follow Christ. We must seek to become more and more Christ-like every day that others might be drawn to, to him through us. And the other part of our priesthood is our worship. Worship is such an important part of what we do as a child of God. It's not a couple of songs we throw in at the beginning of the service or a couple of hymns. It's not a bit of a sing-song we have. True worship is when we offer ourselves, our hearts, our love for Jesus to him. And it's not for nothing that the Bible refers to it as a sacrifice of praise. Praise is so important. And a long time ago, I learned when I was going through a particularly difficult time in my life, when I came about as close to a nervous breakdown as I've ever been, I learned in those days that the way out was to praise God. And even though I didn't feel like it, even though it's the farthest thing from my mind, I would start to sing praises, put on worship tapes. And you know, that soon lifted me from the slough of despond and restored me. Worship is powerful. And it's something we give our whole heart and soul to. And you know, one of the things that I've learned and seen here working on the sound desk, which I do, which is my main job here, to look after the sound desk, is I often help Rob out doing funerals and weddings. And one of the things that really strikes home when you do that is if you come to a funeral where the congregation are unbelievers, where they don't know Jesus, and they're going through the motions, and they're singing the songs, and you listen to the words of the songs, how great thou art, for instance, and you know that nobody in that congregation knows what that means because they don't know the person they're singing to. And it's as flat as anything. And we can hope as a church we can give comfort and we hope in us they see something of the glory of Jesus. But then again, you go to the funeral of a believer, someone who knows Jesus, and the roof comes off. And it's wonderful. You always come out, and this is incredible, you can leave a funeral uplifted with your heart singing because the people who are there know Jesus. They know the one to whom they're singing about. This is why our worship is so important. And I'll tell you a story. I think I've told it here before, but I'll tell it again because it's such a wonderful story. I used to know a pastor friend of mine. He was pastor of a church in East Sussex, a place called Barkham Mills. 
He was a geography teacher, and he'd moved to Barkham with his wife to teach geography in the local grammar school, I think it was. And so he was looking for a church, and he found this little church in his village, the village of Barkham Mills, and they had eight people, just eight. And it soon became obvious to the people that Ray had a gift for teaching. And they asked him if he would preach on a few Sundays. And it wasn't long before they said, look, would you become our pastor? And he became pastor to that church of eight. And under God's anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit, that congregation grew from eight people to five congregations, all of which are still running today. But the incredible thing was, Ray had a dad, and Ray's dad was not a Christian. Ray's dad could had no time for it. He was just got angry about the whole thing, just didn't want to know about Jesus and this religious stuff. Anyway, one week he's visiting Ray, and he says, son, I think I'll come to church with you this evening. And of course, Ray, instead of going, oh, wonderful, you're thinking, oh, heck, what's, God, what's, he, what's Dad going to make of our church? We're a bit lively in our church. And I can tell you, it was a wonderful church. Every time I went there, you walked into the place and the presence of God hung over it like it was so marvellous. And you knew in those services that God was going to move, but you didn't know how he was going to move. And it was just an incredible place to be and an incredible time. So Ray takes his dad to church. And of course, being a man of great faith and power, he's thinking, what can I do with dad? What's he going to make of all this? He's going to be embarrassed. So he picks the nicest, quietest chap, you know, he can find in the congregation. Old Charlie, who really, you know, never says boot to a goose, always quiet. I'll sit dad next to him, that'll be reasonably safe. So he sits him next to old Charlie and the service starts and people begin to praise God. And when they praise God in that church, they really did. Then all of a sudden, Charlie stands up and he says, praise God. And he starts shouting out the praises of God. That week, Charlie had met God in a new way and God had blessed him. And he starts sharing his testimony in the congregation. And Ray, instead of being overjoyed, goes, oh no. What's going to happen now? What's dad going to make of this? Do you know what dad made of it? Dad was converted that night and he became a Christian. You see, when our praise and worship is real, God uses it to touch the hearts of people. That's why what we do in our praise and worship is not an add-on, it's part of our priestly function. God doesn't need our praises. He's not sitting there waiting for us to cheer him up. But he's made us and designed us so that as we praise God, we will be blessed, we will be built up, we will be encouraged. And the whole point of coming to church is to be built up, to be strengthened, because we are God's army out there in the world. We are his warriors, warriors for Jesus. That's what we're supposed to be.
We're God's gift. And so we come, we meet together, we share fellowship together, and we are strengthened, we are encouraged to go out to the world. That's why we're priests and a royal priesthood. I read a quote this week from the vicar of St. Martin in the Fields. It was an article in Church Times. Now, I do not agree very often with the articles in that august journal, but I read this and I thought, this just sums it up. Because one of the things that really strikes me about Christians, we do not realise the incredible transformation that takes place in our hearts when we believe and we move from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. This is what he said. Paul says our citizenship is in heaven, in Philippians 3.20. Paul literally shifts the centre of the universe from this existence and our daily reality to the realm of essence, the things that last forever the habitation of God and those whom God has called to share the life of eternity. You are the ones that God has called to share his life with in eternity. Now that doesn't blow you away. Nothing ever will. Because you and I are privileged to have this closeness with God that comes with responsibilities. But just remember that. Just think on that one sentence alone. And if you remember one thing from the service this morning, remember this. You are the one who God has called to share his life with him in eternity. That is awesome. That is incredible. No other religion in the world offers you that. To spend eternity with him and to share his life. If you remember in that Old Testament passage, it also spoke about the priests being the chosen ones. They had to be chosen by God. Well, do you know, every single one of you here who knows Christ as your Lord and Saviour has been chosen by God. The Bible says that over and over again. You are chosen. You are not an accident. God chose you. Now, people in the church have spent centuries and years wasting their breath trying to argue what that means. But just believe it. Know that you are chosen. Know you are special. Know what God has called you to. Know that you are called to be his priests. To stand in the gap before the world. Because you are a child of God. And as we're finished now, I'd like to ask Matt to come up and lead us in worship together that we might really praise God with the truth of this song. And the one I've asked him to sing, we are no longer slaves, but I am a child of God. Amen.